get Jonathan out of the way. Holy Spirit, let your words be given here this morning to edify your body, to build us up. God, I pray that we would hear from you here this morning, God. And God, if there is someone here who is in need of new life, that they would find it here this morning in you, God. Let your words of life be given here this morning. Do what only you can do, God. In your mighty and wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, before you're seated, if you'll go around and shake somebody's hand, greet about four or five different people, let somebody know that you're glad to see them here this morning. Glad to see y'all um, who here uh, took a trip out of town for Thanksgiving. Anybody take a trip out of town for Thanksgiving? Yeah, some of you did. Who here stayed in town for Thanksgiving? Yeah, who here ate way too much food? Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. It's okay. Um, it's okay for us to be thankful and enjoy the harvest, right? <laughs> um, Man, I'm glad that you're here. I want to welcome everybody, especially if there's somebody here that's visiting us. I really do want you to feel welcomed, um, let you know that we love you, we care about you, we pray for you. Um, Though you may not know it, we pray for you all the time. We pray that God is doing something in your life and that this morning you're not here by coincidence, you're not here by chance, you're not here just because someone invited you. You're here because there's a divine appointment from God for you because he loves you, he cares for you. Um. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm part of the pastoral team here at the church. Um, I'm 38 years old. I'm getting close to 40. Uh, I've got three kids. I've got my beautiful wife here. Um, uh, I have a full-time job. Ministry is not what I do for a living. Um, it's not how I earn an income, but uh, I do have a full-time job. I have bills I got to pay. I got responsibilities, all that stuff. Um, and I go through life uh, just like every single person here. We all go through ups and downs, peaks and valleys. We all go through um, difficult times. We all go through um, great victories in life. We experience the mountain peaks. We experience the valleys. Um, But one thing that I I do and the reason why I get up here and I I speak and preach about these things is because um, I've found that one of the greatest things that you can ever do in life is live a life serving God. Um, God is faithful. And when I say live a life serving God, I don't just mean in a capacity where I come to church and I do a task and I leave um, and consider that my service to God. No, my life surrendered to him is my service uh, to God. And and I've learned that when I do that, God takes care of everything. And there is a faithfulness that God has that is beyond anything we could ever experience in life. And if you don't know him this morning... I pray and I hope and I urge you to try Jesus. Um, We're in the book of Luke. We're going to go through the book of Luke um, for a while. Andrew's saying a year and a half is what the plan is. That's a long time, okay? But we're going to go through it because it's, it's very critical as we're leading up to Christmas that we understand what's going on and who Jesus is. 
we really need to know who Jesus is because he's the one that is our salvation. Amen. Our salvation comes through Jesus. And so we really need to understand who he is in full context and not just bits and pieces that we catch here and there. We need to go through the, the gospels. And so we're going through the gospel of Luke uh, because it's the one that has a lot of the historical account and a lot of it's a, it's a narrative. So it's written telling us about the life of Jesus. And it's a very good book for us to go through for us to fully understand who Jesus is. Now, all four gospels, of course, are great accounts of the life of Jesus. They're all dependable, trustworthy, God-inspired, God-breathed, and we can, we can go to them. Uh, but we chose Luke because leading up to Christmas, it makes sense for us to go through Luke because it sets the table more so than the other Gospels. Uh, Matthew's the only one that talks about Jesus' birth. Uh, Mark and John don't, don't really go into it much. And so we're going to dig into Luke because leading up to Christmas, this is a great one for us to go into. Um, there is one key thing that we need to know about the Gospel of Luke. And the number one thing that we have to understand about the Gospel of Luke and about the life of Jesus is there was one main goal that Jesus had And if you'll go with me to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And this is Jesus speaking about himself. And he says in Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to qualify. He didn't come to create the criteria. He didn't come to check to see if you've met the prerequisites. No, he came to seek you. He came, his love for you is a pursuing love that it didn't wait for you to meet his conditions. He is seeking and trying to save the lost. How many are grateful that God has sought after you? Amen. He came to seek and save the lost. That's you and me. He came to seek and save us. Now, the first two weeks that we've been going through this Gospel of Luke series, um, we've, we've uh, learned some things from Andrew starting it off. How many of you have enjoyed it so far? Andrew got pretty deep into some details and the specifics about, about Luke and then not only the Gospel of Luke, but also proper biblical interpretation. And maybe you heard some words that you didn't know before. Maybe you heard some words you've never heard before when he started talking about eisegesis and exegesis and and what it means whenever we we improperly interpret scripture and we kind of put ourselves as the hero of the story when it's really not about us being a hero it's about jesus being the hero amen Um, he, he talked about some core items mostly that we need to seek out the truth and grasp the meaning of the bible that god has intended amen There's a message that God is trying to communicate through his word, and there's an intention behind it, and we need to grasp what God's intention is, not try to make it fit our lives and our plans. Amen? Um, He dug into the intro of Luke and and the intent behind writing the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which is a continuation, right, of the the book of Luke. Um, We learn that this is written to Theophilus, who is a Roman centurion, somebody that was likely in charge of the records that were kept, right? And so um, he's writing this to Theophilus, that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. That this would be trustworthy, that he would have certainty trusting the things that he had been taught. You know, that's what the Word of God does to us. It gives us certainty concerning the things we have been taught. 
And where we pick up in the Gospel of Luke is it had been 400 years of silence since the Old Testament. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's called this intertestamental period. It's about 400 years where uh, God did not speak through any prophets. There were no angels that came down. There were no messages that were given. There was kind of this 400 years of silence, so to speak, from God. God was not speaking to his people anymore. And now the last thing that we know that was written in the book of Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 was, um, was talking about a Messiah, the Savior that was to come. And he says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. What Malachi was promising is that the son, the S-U-N son, is finally rising The sun is going to rise. So there may be this 400 years of silence, but there's one thing that you can be sure of is that the sun will rise again, the S-U-N sun. Darkness is not permanent is what we learned, right? Darkness is not permanent. Silence was not permanent. God had a plan. God has a plan still today. And last week we learned about the first time that God speaks to his people again is to a man named Zechariah about having a son and the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and tells him you're gonna have a son and he says how is that possible we're old in age and he doubts and what does God do he creates him to be mute it causes him to be mute Um, he doesn't speak until his son is born and they're asking what name are you going to give him right Zechariah has this encounter in Jerusalem in the temple. I think it's important that we key on that because as we get to the next passage of Luke, you're going to understand why that's important. Um, God reminded, uh, God, not reminded, God remained faithful to his promise to Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth got pregnant. God breaks into the silence of history. The sun is starting to shine. Joy is coming because now we see God speaking to his people again. A miracle has taken place. Elizabeth gets pregnant. God breaks into the silence of history. So this week we're going to pick up where Andrew left off last week. So if you'll go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1, we're going to go verses... Uh, 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. When you get there, say amen. I need some feedback here this morning. You guys are kind of staring at me a little quiet. I know I'm giving you a lot of information and it's a lot to absorb, but I need you to be actively engaged here this morning. So when you get there, say amen. All right. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. And it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, before this happened, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. And and in verse 25, we see that Elizabeth has been pregnant for five months already. And in the sixth month of her pregnancy, this is when Gabriel enters the picture again to deliver another message. But he doesn't go to the same place that he went before. 
He goes to Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem. It's not Jerusalem. And to Nazareth, which is kind of like a small, insignificant town, um, kind of talking about, you know, the religious uh, happenings and like important religious cities. Nazareth is not on that map, really. It's not Jerusalem. So now the angel Gabriel goes to what would be considered more of a, a, like a country town. It's more farming and that kind of stuff. Agrarian society. He goes there, a different place. That's Nazareth. It's humble. Why does he go there? Because he's setting the stage for the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. There's a humility that Jesus came to this earth with. He didn't pick the most prominent city. He didn't pick Rome, which was the global capital at the time. He didn't pick uh, Athens, which was a prominent city at the time. He didn't pick Jerusalem, which was the religious center for the people of Israel. He goes to Nazareth to deliver this message. A king would normally be recognized from his place of birth. And the family he would be born into would already be prominent. But he goes to a humble place. Mary being from Nazareth is not at all what anybody would expect if the idea were to establish an earthly kingdom, which is the idea that many people had, that the Messiah was going to come to establish an earthly kingdom. But this is why it's important to note the location. Galilee was on the edge of the nation of Israel. And there were a lot of Gentiles that lived there. And it was considered to probably be more Gentiles than Jews in the region. Which kind of symbolizes the ministry of Jesus was not just for one group of people, but it was for all people. It was for both the Jews and the Gentiles. It's significant to note the location where this message is being delivered and where Mary is from because we need to note that this is what Jesus is trying to establish in his ministry. Amen? So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Verse 27. So Gabriel appears to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary does not bring outstanding credentials to the table, does she? She's not an MBA. She's not somebody that's high in society. She's not a, uh, I don't know what what a high-ranking woman would be. Maybe back in the day it was a debutante. She's not a debutante. Um, She's not some high-ranking official. She's not somebody that comes from a, a notable background. There's nothing significant about her that's that's outstanding according to human standards, right? She's just another young woman. And as a matter of fact, it describes her um, as being from Nazareth. Uh, It describes her as being a virgin, and it describes her as being betrothed to Joseph. 
Now, Nazareth, we've already kind of described a little bit as equaling um, something that is humble, right? There's humility there that God is after. Mary being from there means she's not somebody that thinks she is the right person for the job. And many times those are the people that God wants to use. Amen? Doesn't always seek the qualified, but he seeks the humble, the willing. It describes her as being a virgin. Why is that important? Because it it proves her faithfulness to God and to her future husband. We know she's humble and we know she's faithful. These are two characteristics that we should aspire to have as believers. Amen? There is faithfulness that is there. And betrothed means she's under contract. You know, it it wasn't like how people get married today. Where there is a dating period... Then there's an engagement period. Then there's the wedding. Um, There also was very little romance involved. This is pre-Hollywood, okay? Actually, a lot of marriages up until about 100 years ago were not really based in romance. Um, That's the effect of of culture that culture has on things. Uh, Back then, young, young girls and young girls here, Imagine your parents picking your husband for you. Now, I know some of you parents would love to be able to do that. Or some of you, who your, your, your daughter's already gotten married, you'd be like, dang, I wish I could have picked her husband. I don't like that dude. Imagine that. Imagine your parents having the responsibility of picking your husband. You didn't have a say really in the matter. Maybe your parents would take your opinion some. Like if he was really ugly, they wouldn't let you marry him. But there was, um, there was like... Uh, the benefit to having a daughter was that it would eventually lead to your family being able to merge with another family. And, and some of that came with a cost. And so if somebody wanted to marry you as a young woman, they had to pay a price for the right to marry you. And that was the legal contract that said you were going to be married. And so it wasn't romance. They, they definitely did not meet online. Um, there was, they didn't swipe right or left or any of that stuff. It was a contract set up by their parents. And Joseph and his family had already paid a price for the right to marry Mary. Imagine that. That's different. Okay, we need to understand biblical context here a little bit. This is very, very different than what we're used to today. There is a huge cultural gap from how people get married today and what you think, if you're not married yet, what you think it's going to be like to get married. No, this was, Mary, you're of age. You're going to be married. This guy's willing to pay the price for you to get married, and now we're under contract. You're going to marry him. (laughs) That's the way it was. But there was never, there's not a time that it's written in the Bible that Mary begrudged it or that she was against it or anything like that. It just was the way life happened. And what we understand about this is there were a lot of biblical laws that once you were betrothed to somebody, once you were under this contract, you had to remain faithful. And if you did not remain faithful, 
and let's say you met somebody else and you went and hooked up with somebody else in the Bible and in the law of Moses, that was grounds for death. And, and if you did that as a young woman, your family would have to repay that family with interest on top of it because you violated the contract. So there is a quality that we're seeing in Mary here that there is a great amount of faithfulness that she has not only towards God, but towards the things of God as well. She's not coming off as a rebel. We're not being taught that she is rebelling against the man that she is to marry. We're not being taught any of that. What we do see is how she's greeted by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This tells me that the attitude of Mary's heart was pure towards the things of God. She was favored and the Lord was with her. Coming from an angel that gets to see heaven and actually knows the Lord well, to be able to see somebody and say, I know the Lord is with you, comes from a valid source. This was not just some random person that like, oh, you have this quality, Mary. The Lord must be with you. No, this was somebody who knew the Lord. And when they saw Mary, they knew the Lord was with her. Coming from an angel that gets to see heaven and actually knows the Lord well, he would know a faker. But he saw that the Lord was with her. It tells us the attitude of her heart towards God. Young people, there's something very great about having an attitude, the right attitude towards the things of God. There are things that God wants to do in your life and through you, and he wants to use you. But you've got to have the right attitude in your heart towards the things of God. Amen? So Mary, let's go on, verse 29 says, but Mary, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Yet again, reinforcing this favor that she has. So what we see here is Mary demonstrating her, humi- her humility and the attitude of her heart towards God. She's greatly troubled by this greeting She doesn't understand why they're saying, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. She's trying to understand what's happening. Is there going to be some kind of punishment that comes behind this? Why are you greeting me this way? What am I supposed to do? Am am I in trouble? Is there something going on? Is, Is God upset with me? Wait a second. You're saying, favored one, the Lord is with me. What is going on with this greeting? I don't understand what's going on. She's trying to discern what's going on. She demonstrates her humility and the attitude of her heart. She's not the person that said, finally you showed up, Gabriel. I've been waiting for you to show up. I've been knowing I was going to have Jesus my whole life. I've known this my whole life, and I'm I'm better than all these other girls, and and I'm the best one that's qualified for all this. She She was not an entitled person. She was not somebody that believed that she had the right to be the mother of Jesus. As a matter of fact, we see that she's trying to understand what's going on. And it teaches us a lot of lessons about life, right? That attitude. 
Some of us sometimes believe that we are the ones that are qualified, that God should be using because we're better than them. And, and often, you know, you know what the red flag is or you know what the indicator is that you feel a certain way or that you, um, there's, a, there's a red flag about your attitude. It's when you begin to criticize the other people who are doing what you think God has called you to do because the critic is really trying to say, I wish everybody would see me instead of them. I wish I would be the one doing it instead of them. So if you're a critic, be on the lookout because that's an attitude of the heart that you need to be aware of. Why does Mary get to do it? What's, she's from Nazareth. She's not even from Jerusalem. Like, she's not the right girl. She's already betrothed to Joseph. She's already promised to him. Why would God go to her? I'm more qualified than Mary. I'm prettier than Mary. I'm better than Mary. I should be the mother of the son of God. You know, that kind of attitude. She didn't have that attitude at all. We don't see that written here at all. As a matter of fact, we see the opposite. She is humble. She is fearful. And she is understanding that something here is happening <laughs> That is beyond her comprehension. She's trying to discern what goes on. And the angel reinforces again that she has found favor with God. The task ahead is not a punishment, Mary, or a harmful one, but it's one from God. The task ahead of Mary was not a harmful one. It was not a punishment, but it was a task from God. I didn't say it was an easy one, but I did say it's a task from God. Amen? And then Gabriel tells her, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now we are finally introduced to the person of Jesus for the first time in the gospel of Luke. Who is Jesus? Who is he going to be? The first thing it says is that Jesus will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Jesus is not going to be some weakling. He's going to be called great and the son of the most high. The God that you and I serve, the God that you and I serve is great and the son of the most high. Amen. This highlights the greatness of Jesus and identifies him as the son of the most high. A title signifying his divine nature. He is not just a man. He is the son of God. Amen. The phrase most high is a title for God, emphasizing the elevated and supreme nature of Jesus's divine origin. Jesus is not just a good man. He is not just a prophet. He is the son of God. Amen. This is what is being established by Luke and especially to Theophilus and the people of that time understanding that this was not just another man. He was not just a great prophet. He was not just like Elijah or Elisha or any of the prophets of the Old Testament. No, he is the son of God. Amen. So now we're introduced to Jesus. He's divine in nature. He is God. And then it says he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. This refers to a messianic prophecy from the Old Testament that the Messiah would come through the house of David, that a shoot would come from the, from the stump of Jesse, right? He would come from the lineage of David and inherit his throne. It connects Jesus to the promised descendant of David who would establish an everlasting kingdom. 
So not only is he the son of God, but he is fulfilling the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament so that the people of that time, especially the Jews, would know that he is the Messiah. Now remember, Luke is writing this to Theophilus, that Theophilus would have certainty of what he has been taught. And now Luke is telling him, not only is he the son of God, but he is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. This isn't just some other dude. This isn't just some guy that had special powers. He's not a Marvel character. He is the son of God. He is the promised Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then it goes on to say that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. This part emphasizes the eternal nature of Jesus' reign and the role of the Messiah. He was not going to be temporary. He was not a guy here that was, to, to, that was going to just establish an earthly kingdom and just make the people of Israel their own great nation again. No, he was here to establish an eternal kingdom. Amen? That affects you and me if it's eternal. That means it wasn't just for that time back, back then, but it's eternal in that it's for all of us as well to be part of. We are part of the kingdom of God. Amen? His kingdom will have no end. The house of Jacob refers to the people of Israel and the proclamation of an everlasting kingdom reinforces the idea that Jesus' rule will be eternal and universal. It's not just for a certain group of people, but it's for all of God's creation. Amen? So who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, and he is eternal. Amen? And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is the third time it mentions this, okay? That means there's significance behind it. This means she's been faithful. She's been pure. And... And this is before an angel who would be able to know that she's lying if she was lying, right? This is a messenger from God. This is not just some teacher that you can fool, or this isn't your parents who you can lie to sometimes and get away with it, or is it, this isn't somebody that Mary could manipulate because she knew how to talk to them or anything. No, no, this tells us that she actually was pure. And she's having this conversation. She's like, you're telling me I'm going to have a child, but I've never done what it takes to have a child. This is not possible. How will this, I'm, my wedding has not happened yet. I, I'm still just promised to Joseph, but it's not been consummated. It's not been done. How am I going to have a child? You're telling me I'm going to have a child. Is, does that mean that Joseph's going to be the dad? Uh, I'm going to have the son of God, but Joseph's going to be, how, she's curious to know how will this happen? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. 
the fact that the virgin birth the, the fact of the virgin birth underscores that God is our creator. Amen. Why is it important that Jesus be born of a virgin? Because it, 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 it signifies that God is the creator. God can create life out of nothing. God is not bound by the limits of science. God is the creator. He created the material world that we know today. He's not bound by it, but he can enter it and create life in it. That's how we know that Jesus is the son of God. It's divine in nature. His creative power is capable of making life out of nothing, merely through the overshadowing of his presence. If anything expresses the sovereignty of God, it's his ability to create life. If God is really sovereign, you know how we know he's sovereign? Because he can create life. That's significant. The only other time in scripture where we see the spirit of God creating life is in the story of creation. God breathed life into Adam and he came to life because before that he was just clay formed into a body. But when the spirit of God came upon him, life happened. And so what we see happening here is that Gabriel is telling Mary, Mary, God is the creator and the one who can create life. And what's going to happen to you is going to be supernatural, divine in nature. And you're going to get pregnant, not because of material things and not because of earthly things and not in an earthly manner, but in a supernatural way. Because when my spirit can, when my spirit descends on something, life happens. We see new life again. The coming of Jesus is ushering in new life. Do you guys understand that? Spirit of God overshadowing Mary, coming upon Mary and creating life again. There is new life in Jesus. Because the last time this happened, the Bible even calls in in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to go read it, you can. It talks about Jesus being the last Adam. Why? Because life started with Adam, right? God breathed his breath of life into Adam and, and mankind came into existence that way. And life happened, but then there was the fall of Adam, right? And, and death came into the world. And now God is saying, no, I'm going to create new life and it's going to come through Jesus. And how is it going to come through Jesus? He's going to be divine in nature. And whenever he is born, new life will be established again. Amen. And he will be holy because he does not come from the seed of man, which is unholy, but he comes from the seed of God. Amen? He is the son of God. And if you need any more evidence, look at what... (laughs) He's talking to Mary here. Mary, if you need any more evidence, if this is actually going to happen, go find your relative Elizabeth who was barren and is old but is now pregnant. And she's six months pregnant. Why is this important? Because nothing with God will be impossible. Nothing with God will be impossible. Your salvation is not impossible with God. Your redemption is not impossible with God. Your justification is not impossible with God. Your cleansing is not impossible with God. Your sanctification is not impossible with God. Your ability to fulfill the great commission is not impossible with God. Amen? All things are possible because of Jesus. 
Sometimes we think that God being the God of the impossible is about material things and satisfying our material needs and and our earthly desires and our fleshly desires. No, what God came to establish was beyond that. It's not impossible for you to have right standing with God. Why? Because of what Jesus did. For For nothing with God will be impossible. It's not impossible for God to redeem you. It's not impossible for God to justify you before, uh, before his throne, right? It's not impossible for you to be cleansed. It's not impossible for you to be sanctified. And it's not impossible for you to fulfill the Great Commission. Nothing with God will be impossible. Nothing with God will be impossible. You are not beyond his salvation. You are not too far gone that he can't save you. I love the way Isaiah describes it. He says, surely the arm of God is not too short that he can't reach you, nor is his ear so deaf that he can't hear you. God is very close and God is pursuing you. And what we learn in Luke is that he's coming after you. He's seeking after you. Why? Because he loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to have relationship with you. And he wants to use you for his glory and honor. There is a reason why you are here on this earth and it's not for nothing. It's because he has a purpose in your life and he wants to see it fulfilled. Amen? I'm sure Mary thought she was insignificant. She thought nothing would come to her. Maybe she thought she was just an ordinary girl. I'm just an ordinary young woman. There's nothing, I'm already, I'm just going through the process of life. Somebody's already paid a price for me to be married to them. Nothing significant is going to happen in my life. And all of a sudden, she is told she's going to be the one that brings the Son of God into the world. For nothing with God will be impossible. And then I love Mary's response in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Servant. She didn't say, I'm the qualified one. Yeah, that makes sense. I should, I've always thought I was going to be the mother of the Son of God. She, it wasn't anything like that. She probably wasn't homecoming queen at Nazareth High School, right? <laughs> even know if they had that kind of stuff but it doesn't even talk about her beauty being greater than all the others nothing like that she was probably just an ordinary girl nothing significant the attitude of her heart is tremendous because she says behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word What a mature response for such a young person. And you know what this tells me, young people? You don't have to wait till you're older to be mature in the things of God. You don't have to be older to be mature in the things of God. It's not for some day later on down the road. It's not whenever you're finally married and you have your own family or something like that. No, we see this happening in Mary's life at a young age. Young people, God wants to use you now. He's not waiting for you to get older. He's not waiting for you to finally figure things out. He wants to use you now. There is a calling on your life and it starts now. It's not for another day, it's now. Young people can know the Lord and serve him with full conviction of their decisions to follow Jesus. Young people can serve God 
with that kind of conviction. If we go back into the historical records and try to understand when young women actually got married, it was between the ages of 12 and 16. She was young. She probably just had her quinceanera. We might expect great things from God and anticipate that he will work through the great people in society. But God shows his greatness by working with anyone who is willing to be used by him. Spiritual greatness is not a matter of social class. Spiritual greatness is not a matter of the family that you come from. Spiritual greatness is not a matter of money. It's not a a matter of how many followers you have. It's not a matter of the, the sphere of influence that you have. Spiritual greatness is not a degreed background. Spiritual greatness is a function of the heart. And we see that Mary has the right heart towards the things of God. If you'll stand with me here this morning. We're introduced to two people in this passage in the book of Luke. For the first time we see Mary, and for the first time we see Jesus. We learn that Mary is faithful, Mary is humble, she's a willing servant to be used by God. And we see that Jesus, he's he's being described already as great. It says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord of God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So let's go back and read the most important verse that there is in the book of Luke. And that is Luke 19.10. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. With God, nothing is impossible. He can save the lost. With God, nothing is impossible. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning.